We are in Mark chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 39. Jesus is going to call the apostles. But I want to read through the whole chapter. You've got on your notes, we'll look at this here in a little bit, how the chapter's broken down. What you're going to see as we read through this is he's going to call the apostles. And he's going to form, in a sense, we'll, we'll see him named here, uh, the inside group. This is going to be the inside group. And they're, as we're going to see, they're going to be with him. And then they're going to go off and they're going to preach his message and they're going to cast out demons. In other words, they're going to be with the king. They're going to go off and preach the king's message, proclaim his message, and they're going to demonstrate the king's authority. And that is basically what's going to happen here. And that's kind of what's going to be leading this whole chapter, or at least the next place Mark is going, is Jesus is going to have authority and he's going to, he's going to be taking authority over the kingdom of Satan. And it's going to cause all kinds of confusion for the people that see Jesus moving in on the kingdom of Satan. And that's going to reveal the other group. It's going to be the outsiders. Now, this is one of those places where Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first. Up is down, you know, it's, it's turned around. The world has it backwards. Because who's going to be on the outside in this chapter? You're going to see it as we read it. The outsiders are going to be his family, and the religious leaders. And if you're going to have the Messiah come, that's going to be born into the family, the tribe of Judah, uh, you think the family would be recognizing him, and you think the religious leaders would be recognizing him. But in this chapter, his family's going to think he's crazy, and the religious leaders are going to identify him as Satan. Who's going to be on the inside is going to be the apostles, who he has called, and the crowds that are following him who are going to like we had a crowd we talked about the crowds last week and they were you know almost like the mob these crowds appear to be thinning down not not thinning down some of them are getting a better idea of who he is and by the very fact the religious leaders are rejecting him the crowds are going to have to start making a choice and there's people that are going on the inside and most times the people that are going to the inside, the inside group of Jesus, are the outsiders of society. And those that are on the inside of society are becoming the outsiders in Jesus' ministry at this, at this point in this chapter. So I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 13 through 35, and we're just going to get through a few of the verses, of course, tonight. I really want to keep going. Uh, there's many things, especially, well, you'll see. Here we go. Chapter 13. Verse 35, and we leave off from last week where there's groups that were crowding Jesus. He's back in Capernaum. He's in Galilee, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum, his hometown. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Talking about the disciples, the the apostles. Uh, He appointed 12. Now, when it says those that he called, you think that he's calling just 12, and that's, that's not a bad picture, that he's calling 12 people. But he may have called a larger group. There may have been, you know, like we talk about, the 70 that followed him. And then out of those 70, or whatever group number came, we don't know how many came at this time, he calls out 12. So he may not have just called 12 people. He may have called out of the crowd the believers, the insiders. And then from those that crowd that followed him up the mountain, he definitely takes out 12. And these are going to, well, here they go. Uh, designating them apostles. Not everybody, but these 12 apostles. That they might, and here's three things, that they might be with him. And that's important. They're going to see him, hear him. They're going to learn from him. They're going to watch what he does. That they might be with him. That he might send them out to preach. Once they see him, they're going to go now go out and proclaim the king's message, and to have authority to drive out demons. It's not their authority. It's his authority they're being sent out with to demonstrate that the king is here. So it's interesting that his authority is going to be transferred to these apostles. It's also interesting, as we look and we know all the things that are coming up in the Gospels, how much these apostles have yet to learn and how confused they are on certain issues, but yet they're operating with his authority and yet they still don't fully understand where he's going, which is not unusual, uh, especially when we went through the Hebrews chapter 11. 
of when Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He, he's going to Canaan, but it's like uh, he, he's not real sure. Many times, not many times, but always, we're following God with a certain understanding, but there's a whole lot more we do not know than what we do know as we continue to follow. And so these apostles, they're not like they've passed some kind of test. I guess they have passed some level of task, test, but there's so much more to learn. But yet they're given this authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, and we'll talk about them tonight, go through them again. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and again, as we know, the book of Mark traditionally is Peter's teaching. It's Peter's, uh, what Peter taught, and probably the way he taught it in the, in the snippets, the stories, the, how he condensed all that he knew into these, we could say, talking points, or how he organized his material. And so this would be, again, not Mark's memory, but Peter's memory that Mark heard him teach. And he began to write it down, according to the church tradition and the church historians writing at that time and, and after. Uh, these are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonanerges, bon, bon, bon which means sons of thunder. We'll talk about that. Um, uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Elpheus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, then continuing on, after he called them, it says, and they apparently went out to teach. Apparently they leave to go teach at, at some point here. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. Uh, we're going to have to assume he's in Capernaum. Uh, it, you don't have to accept this, but I'm picturing him in Capernaum again, in Peter's house. He entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his Okay, so his disciples are with him. When his family, and again, w- this account is not necessarily as the uh, church historians record, not necessarily in a chronological order and all the details. I think you're going to get more details in, in Luke and Matthew as, as more of an organization. These are like topics. So if we would overlay this with Luke and Matthew, we could get a better picture of when the disciples went out, when they came back. And so there's probably material that here is he's talking about calling the disciples, and then he goes into another situation. The insiders have been chosen, now the outsiders are going to be, that's really the topic of this, this verse or this chapter so much is not what happens next. Again, my mind, I, I want to know, and then what happened next. I want this laid out in chronological order. And the information he's putting here is he's called these the crowds. He picked out of the crowds. Then he picked out of the crowds the apostles. And now here's the outsiders. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, okay, so they're there to investigate this uh, unorthodox behavior, because Jesus is... Uh, not certified he doesn't teach as we know he doesn't teach as the other rabbis where they they would state their sources these are the, the rabbi so-and-so says this and as we have written down over here they would just continue to just list they didn't have the authority just to make statements about the word of god themselves they'd have to go to a higher authorities or other rabbis and say they've said this and kind of build their case jesus as we're gonna, we've seen already teaches with authority Meaning, he doesn't bring in and quoting different people. He just, with authority. And we're going to see that coming up here also later on when he's going to say, uh, verily I say to you. And that, that's very interesting. He's going to say right there, he's not, I'm, not te- I'm not quoting anybody. I'm just telling you, almost like a prophet, but even beyond a prophet, I'm just telling you straight up, this is the way it is. It's like, by what authority? <laughs> well, it's just like the same authority I had with the, the, the Sabbath, the same authority I had over the demons. It's like, I'm telling you the way it is. And if you don't accept the fact that I am the Messiah, the Son of God, then you're going to be confused. And that's where this is going. 
And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons, which is amazing right there because they're seeing demons leave. They're seeing people that are oppressed with demons. If it's, again, when it talks about demons and being able to, the disciples casting out demons, it's like, I thought they had authority to heal. That goes on the idea, they've got authority over demons. They've got authority over Satan, and that would fall in the category of diseases. They can also heal disease, which would be a subcategory of driving off all the oppression of the world. So once again, they are not saying, he's tricking you. These people are not really demon-possessed. They're just acting demon-possessed and acting like they got delivered. They're seeing things happen that no one can deny. They're, they know... They know there's a supernatural event just occurred here, but this is Satan working in Jesus to drive out Satan. So they're they're admitting it's supernatural. So that's really an amazing thing. Uh, And it it follows up even in Jewish writings at this time and after is they they accuse Jesus of being a, a magician, of doing things that were supernatural, but wickedly. Not, not, not by the hand of God. And that is, that is the pivot point. That's where Jesus is going to pivot on that. And the teacher of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. And now here he is his teaching. We'll go through this in better detail next week. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is, meaning your, your accusation doesn't even make sense that these are demons, and by the power of the demon, I'm driving out the demons. So you're watching Satan fight against Satan. That, that's your answer. That, that is what you're going to go. That's going to be your, the, the hill you die on, that I'm Satan driving out Satan. He says, if, the, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. So first he's saying there has to be some kind of scheme over here that they're all fighting for the same cause. But yet I would also suggest that within that realm of darkness, there's not like this great drive of unity. See, as Christians, we can be united in Christ because we're all moving towards Christ. So Christ is our source of unity. Now, we may look at each other and be divided, but if we all look at Christ and we're all moving towards Christ, we're all moving in the same direction. We're becoming, personally, we're becoming more and more united as we move towards Christ. We may look across the room and say, well, we're far apart. Well, let's all look to Christ and keep growing towards Christ. Ah, we're getting closer and closer together. And so that would be a true unity. Over here in Satan's kingdom, there's going to be division because there's nothing to unite on because they're all just coming against god and so that's a it's a different type of unity they've got a common enemy uh and then so that he makes three points we'll make more of this next week in fact he says no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can rob his house and that's exactly what is taking place right here with jesus and the apostles ministry the strong man here is jesus and he's going into satan's house satan's domain satan's world tying up the man and taking everything he wants jesus is the strong man tying up the strong man and plundering all of his possessions what possessions all these people that are being set free they were in bondage they're kept captive and they're being set free so he says it's not it doesn't make sense that satan's fighting satan but what does make sense is someone stronger than satan is here and has tied satan up and is setting everybody free then he can rob his house i and here it is i tell you the truth see right there i and we'll take take more on this next week i tell you the truth he says he's not saying rabbi so-and-so or as you have heard them teach he says i tell you the truth you may never have heard this from anybody before but i'm telling you the truth all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them but whoever blasphemes against the holy spirit will never be forgiven he is guilty of an eternal sin of course that's going to be a topic of discussion next week what does that mean and i think i've 
explained that before. There's, uh, but I want to give you other options as we look at that. He said, because, okay, he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. They're saying Jesus is possessed of an evil spirit, and by that evil spirit, he's driving out these other evil spirits or demons. With that, it says, chapter, that's, that's the religious leaders being on the outside, actually looking at the manifestation of the king, the authority of the king, dismantling Satan's kingdom, and they're saying, you're Satan. Well, now, amazingly, verse 31, then Jesus, remember, they had come. Earlier in the chapter, they came, verse 20. Then Jesus entered the house, uh, uh, and in uh, verse 21, when his family heard about this, when they heard about all that was going on. So now it's interesting. Jesus has moved to Capernaum. He's either got his own house or he's residing with Peter in his house. Uh, it gives the impression earlier that Jesus' family had moved to Capernaum. So there may be a house that they're living in, and now they've come over to get him out of this chaotic situation. Some commentators say they came up from Nazareth, indicating they're still living in Nazareth and have come to Capernaum. And that could be the picture. Maybe it's happening in different timing. Maybe they've moved back. Maybe they've got places in both Nazareth and Capernaum. But nonetheless, they've come uh, to Capernaum, or they have come across town to the house that Jesus is in. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Of course, they can't get in. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Then Jesus, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers, Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Notice how it's plural, and that last line, he goes singular. Is my brother, my sister, my mother. So he takes this right here. He breaks down this, what we'd say, the, the, the uh, social aspect. This is your family. He says, no, we're on a different plane now. Those who are my brother, my mother, my sister are those who will do God's will. And those are the ones sitting around, not those on the outside that have some kind of social connection that are rejecting me, but those who have heard me and are following. And so we'll talk more about that next week. But that's really where this chapter is going, the inside and outsiders. And here we go, chapter one, uh, page one of the notes. Uh, this is now the English Standard Version. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And again, like I said, He's calling up on a mountain, and that word mountain, I've got it written down there in, uh, uh, well, it's point, yeah, point one, is oros, O-R-O-R-O-S. It can mean mountain, and it can mean hill. And if, if you're in, in Galilee, if you're around Capernaum, there's no mountains to, per, to, to speak of. There's like Mount Tabor, which is a high hill. Uh, you, you, further closer you're going to get would be probably Mount Hermon, which is actually a snow-capped mountain to the north. That's too far away for this story. Uh, so we're probably talking about the hills around, and ex especially since it's not named. It's not a specific mountain. Uh, he's up, gone up the hill. He's gone away from the crowd, up into the hills, away from the crowd. And he calls the people to him. So I'm going to say he's calling a group. Uh, of people up there to the hill there's a large group that have joined him on the hill away from the crowd away from the religious leaders away from the the chaos uh and they came to him and then from that group that has come to him he's going to choose 12 now it is not uh i don't think it's accidental i think it's on purpose i think it's intentional i think it's it fits with god's plan you've got uh 12 tribes of israel and now he's choosing 12 apostles. Also, you have a, the, the ideal of a mountain builds on the ideal of Moses going up a mountain and Moses interceding or being the leader of the 12 tribes of Israel. The difference here is Moses went up the mountain to speak with God for the 12 tribes. Now in this presentation at Mark's making, uh, Jesus is not Moses. Jesus would be God who is on the mountain and he's choosing 
a new 12. And so this gets, this is not going to, we're going to see that this is not going to replace, this is not going to, in a sense, replace Israel. Again, this gets very, right here, this is where you start building your foundations for later theology. What are these 12? Well, they're replacing Israel. I've got the verses written down here, and I'll, I'll try to read them to you. These 12 are going to eventually rule over the 12 tribes. So they're not going to replace them. They're, in a sense, refreshing. They're now, of the 12 tribes, have a mission. These 12 apostles are going to be chosen to start fulfilling the mission that God originally called Israel for. And again, now, again, you've got to be careful. You're, are you building replacement theology? Are you going to have, I thought, the, the new covenant, we no longer needed the old covenant, but yet we're bringing Israel over and we're, in a sense, refreshing it. And so there's a lot of things taking place here as we look at this, especially when you start interpreting it. But notice, Jesus is not one of the members of Israel. He's calling the 12 apostles. So that makes Jesus, God, like Moses went up to see God. These groups and these 12 apostles have gone up to see and meet with him. And so that would be the image. And that's kind of what we've got here, some things written down here. Um point b but it is building on the ideal of moses going up the mountain this is more likely a hill though uh 12 were chosen by jesus is an imagery that places jesus in the place of god uh there are five mountain experiences mentioned in matthew and i'll just want to go through these this is the book of mark some of these overlap but very clearly matthew using the same word o-r-o-s oros uh Matthew 5, verse 1, teaching the, uh, the Beatitudes after calling the disciples. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down, and his disciples came to him. So then he begins teaching the Beatitudes. Now, you're going to see Jesus sometimes teaching on a plain, sometimes teaching on a hill. You're going to see Jesus multiplying the, the food, the, the bread for the 4,000. Well, it's coming up here on, on a mountain. You're also going to see the 5,000 eating on a plain where there's much grass so you've got they're not like conflicting stories you've got jesus teaching like the beatitudes uh not just once it's not like you know you make a recording put it online there it is there's no recording he's gonna have to teach it wherever he goes he's gonna have to teach this little message uh and that's probably especially the case if it's going to get recorded it's going to have to have several times he's going to make the presentation and it's going to become a topic of of writing a topic of his preaching so anyway keep that in mind but the beatitudes and he called the disciples there on the mountainside matthew 14 23 after john the baptist died uh, after he had dismissed the crowd jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray later that night he was there alone and that's when he ends up walking on the water to the boat so he goes up on a mountainside there uh, in matthew 15 and mark chapter 8 Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And that's where he's going to multiply the bread. After the people have been listening to him teach, he's going to multiply the bread because they're hungry. Mark 9, 2, or Matthew 17, 1. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, this is a mountain. This is Mount Hermon. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, we'll talk about that, with him and led them up a high mountain, Mount Hermon, and said by Caesarea Philippi outside the borders of Israel where they were alone there he was transfigured before them which is a, a enormous event with the the repercussions of that are multifaceted Matthew 28 16 after the resurrection he appears to the disciples or and tells the women especially Mark uh, that the, to go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee and then he does appear to them in Jerusalem, but they do meet in Galilee. They do go back to Galilee. And here it is in Matthew 28, 16, giving the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples, now there are only 11, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And that's where he gives them the Great Commission, saying, all authority has been given to me. I'll be with you to, uh, to the ends of the earth. Go and, and you know, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and goes on with the Great Commission. Um, point two, the 12, is a clear substitute for the 12 tribes of Israel that God originally intended to use. Uh, the authority of the Messiah is rebuilding the foundation of the new phase of the kingdom, and that is what he is doing. Uh, the 12 tribes are going to be, in a general sense, 
on the outside. The 12 tribes are on the outside at this time. And so Jesus has to find 12 people because the the 12 tribes are going to lead him. He's going to have to have the 12. And from these 12, he's going to start to rebuild the very purpose of God. Uh, uh, That's point A. The authority of the Messiah is rebuilding the foundation. That's why he's going to give them the message. And he's going to give them the authority. Uh, Amazing. They're going to have the Messiah's authority going off, proclaiming the message and demonstrating his authority. Now, to put these 12 apostles with the 12 tribes, we simply have these two verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said to them, the 12, truly I tell you, once again, you hear that? Truly I tell you, meaning uh, I'm not going to quote some rabbi, I'm not going to tell you an Old Testament scripture, I'm telling you for the first time, new information, no one knows this, you can't source this anywhere, Where, who is your source? <laughs> truly, I tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good way to do like scholarly work you know you can't just sit down and start writing a book i have no sources this is just my own opinion i I guess you write an opinion piece uh but that's what it is it's just your own opinion and but and jesus in a sense is bringing his opinion except he's bringing he's god i truly i tell you this this is the way it is so he says again it's very interesting because this is really in a sense new information jesus said to them truly i tell you matthew 19 28 at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. So we're going to have a time where he calls it here in the English Standard, the renewal of all things. Yeah, the renewal of all things. So there's going to be some kind of a renewal. It's going to be everything's going to be reset. And then you can see what's taking place here. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. And now, Son of Man, as we know, that is Jesus' term for himself as Messiah. You could say Messiah. But when he would say Messiah himself, that would send off all kinds of buzzers and whistles. You know, it's a buzzword for overthrow the Romans. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, glorious indicating, you know, God. He's now in the position of God, the Messiah. Truly I tell you, I'm the one telling you this. Is, you can't find the source anywhere else. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. He's talking to the 12 apostles. You who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 thrones, you will be judging or ruling the 12 tribes tribes so in a sense here these 12 apostles are going to be the ones who are the leaders the rulers the the kings under the king of kings over the 12 tribes of israel and they're going to now be realigned with this purpose of the king at first in jesus ministry you can see these 12 tribes in a sense rejecting him eventually they're going to be brought back at the renewal of all things when jesus returns Many between now or we could say this time and until jesus returns many things are going to take place including the restoration of israel so by the time he sits on his throne these 12 tribes that have walked away from him and rejected him for all these years are going to have been brought back and they will be placed under the authority of these 12 apostles how do i know that i don't know here truly i tell you at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his throne you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel it's like that's that's what jesus says now somehow you've got to fit that in so these 12 are not in a sense replacing but they're in a sense fulfilling a role until the 12 tribes come around now luke 22 verses 28 through 30 says this You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, talking to the disciples. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. Now this is very similar to Jesus' words to the seven churches in the beginning of the Revelation. As my Father has given authority to me, I now give you authority. You will rule them with an iron scepter. So in Jesus, even talking to the churches, he says that when he sits on his throne and is ruling with an iron scepter quoting psalms he says i'm going to give you the same authority you're going to rule under jesus in the kingdom 
Now he's talking to the seven churches or those within the seven churches. But here he says uh, in Luke, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it gives you another different picture. They're now actually partaking of the food. They're eating at his table. They're part of his ruling class in the kingdom that is to come. And you can see similar things uh, being said to the church at different places in the New Testament, especially in Revelation. Um, But with that in mind, that's the kind of promises Jesus was making to these 12 apostles. You're going to go through through this with me. He tells them, you're going to be with me. He's going to send them out with a message. They're going to have authority, and they're going to face trials. There's going to be reasons for them to quit. There's going to be reasons for them to feel like they're on the outside, but you're not. You're on the inside. We feel like we're on the outside. Even your family thinks we're crazy. All the religious leaders are rejecting us. They're quoting this rabbi and this rabbi, and you just keep saying, Verily, I say to you, come with me. You're on the inside. Yeah, but everyone with authority and all the footnotes say we're on the outside. Well, I told you, if you deal with me and go through the trials with me, you're going to stay on the inside when we are everything. And the outside is no longer even existing. We're just the whole package will be when my kingdom comes into existence. So that's the kind of promises they were given. Now, again, so we've seen Mark, Matthew, and Luke say something similar uh, at least talking about the 12. So where that all comes down, that's kind of just, you know, there, that, that, that needs to be put into the package of eschatology. How does that all fit together? But that's enough for what we want now. They've been given some serious promises, and as he's calling them to follow him, uh, they're being told early on, you're going to face difficulties. And if, if you don't think that, uh, like it says, in chapter 3, verse 13, and he went up on a mountainside and called to them, called to him those whom he desired, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, watch again, so that they might be with him, then he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So by the very fact that being with him, this being with him is what does that mean i mean just i need people to carry my stuff i need to carry my coat well it might involve that but being with him how how better if you want to pick out someone if it's a carpenter if it's a if it's a teacher if it's a a businessman and you want to learn their craft where do you want to be you want to be with them and that's what the idea here is they're not in a sense serving him i need help carrying my stuff you're going to be my, you're, I'm going to send you out and you're going to preach my message and you're going to have my authority. Now, before you go, you need to be with me. And the idea there is they're going to just see how he handles the crowd, how he handles prayer, how he handles trials. Is he going to say, I can't believe this is happening. I, the, the, these trials should not be happening. We need to fix this. He's like, no, no, no. This is, this is part of being the son of man. I'm going to face trials. I'm going to face opposition. Are you with me? Come on, here we go. And you're going to, everything you see, there's no, this is a great teaching tool right here just for us as we evaluate people, you know, the, the brace that they used to have. You know, what would Jesus do? Well, here's, here's it, right here. Be with him. What would, what would he face? It's like, well, he faced trials and difficulties. He was a servant serving the people. He got, he worked so hard, he got tired in the ministry. Uh, he was rejected. It's like, well, what would Jesus do? Well, if, if you're in the ministry, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be tired. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have things coming against you, but you're going to have to be preaching and claiming things, proclaiming a message that doesn't seem like it fits what everybody else is saying. If they're on the inside over here, your message will have to be on the inside of this circle, which means it may be opposite of what they're saying on the inside in culture and so get ready if you're going to proclaim his message it's going to be rejected it it, the people on the inside today are going to call your message that's satan 
they're going to, the very thing, they're going to call evil good, good evil. They're, gonna, they're not going to understand it. And so by being with Jesus, they're going to be able to see that firsthand. So when they go off and preach, and some people receive it and are excited, and others reject it and oppose it violently, it's like, what's going on? We must have said it wrong. No, no, that's exactly what happened when Jesus said it. He preached it, many received it joyfully, and many were just like totally offended. And Jesus said it in, in, the, in the, I think it was in Luke, he says, do not think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I mean, th- I mean that's, not even the, that's not even a good Christian religious message. It's like, Jesus is divisive. Well, we need to take some of those edges off. We, Jesus can't be divisive. We need people to come together and be unified. Jesus, well, no, 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 no. That's not my message. My message is very clear. I am on the inside. I say to you, what's your base of authority? Well, I am God. I'm gonna, this is what we're doing. Well, I don't know. That, that kind, of, kind of comes across not like the way we think. Exactly. It's, you've got to either be on the inside with me or you're going to remain on the outside. And so when they preached, that's, they're going to have to know that's what happened to him. That's going to happen to them as they go off. And they're going to have his authority, which had to be an amazing experience. Because, again, do they fully understand and also, we've got this, we haven't even mentioned anything about it. We've got this guy down here called Judas, who's one of the 12 at this point. By the end of the book of Mark, they're called the 11 because Judas is gone. But when all this is done, you have to imagine, Judas, as we know, is going to be in charge of the money bag. He's going to be the treasurer. Uh, when he's going he he chooses judas they don't all like look at each other it's like judas can anyone trust judas i mean it's like they don't suspect judas i mean this whole time through this judas is probably never suspect judas is probably the one the one who is suspect is probably peter because peter's the one who always says something wrong or he's 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 always trying to get one up on john and you don't know the tension between john and peter what's going on there because and it's even fun to read the book of mark because again i i don't want to read it but but peter uh he was called you know uh, his name is simon and jesus calls him the rock and then there's john and james and jesus called them the sons of thunder it's kind of like now it, i mean I, you got to believe it's got good integrity but it's kind of fun to wonder Peter, they, he called me the rock. What about James and John? Ah, called them sons of thunder. They're always flying. They, I was, you know, it's like, I don't know if that's the case, but it's almost like he's kind of promoting himself in his own gospel or Mark's promoting because of Peter's words. Uh, and then, of course, John, what's John call himself in the book of John? He never refers to himself, but he calls himself what? The beloved one, the one that Jesus loved. Who, the one that Jesus loved said this. The one that Jesus loved did this. It's like, you mean the sons of the son of thunder? I don't really like the son of thunder. I like to think of myself as more the one that Jesus loved. So in the Gospel of John, John is known as the one that Jesus loved. In the other Gospels, he's known as yeah, one of the sons of thunder. That guy could get going. He, had a, he could get your, himself riled up. Anyway, or whatever that means. But that is what is taking place here in these verses. And we go down to uh, now the bottom of page one. Oh, I should point this out. Uh, point three of these 12 apostles only five are mentioned again in the book of mark so they're going to be they're going to give them the names there's going to be 12 of course that are mentioned mark is going to mention five of the 12 again somewhere in the book again as you know peter james and john are going to be the inner circle and they're going to be the ones that jesus takes away when he raises Darius's daughter when he goes up the transfiguration when he goes to the garden of gethsemane he goes further to pray these are his three and of those three peter would probably be the closest the the spokesperson uh john considered himself the one that jesus loved peter was the spokesperson but john said well i'm the one he loved uh which is interesting that again they can go through a lot of ways but these other seven are not mentioned again in the book of of mark we can see them coming up at different places in the other gospels then at the bottom of the page apostle it means messenger and refers to one that is sent with a task or commission to fulfill a responsibility so mark is going to use the word apostle uh for the first time right here he's going to use it one other time but when he calls them apostle he called them his apostles he appointed them as apostles that means they are sent and they have a mission 
or they have a commission they have authority to accomplish a mission they were given a certain uh, message and a certain authority to accomplish this and thus they were called apostles and they were apostles of the lord and here's what you've got right here um and six chapter six verse 30 the apostles returned in, in the book of mark the apostles returned to jesus and told him all that they had done and taught so when they return they're going to be able to say this is what we taught and this is all the things we did with the authority which would be these even demons submitted to us in your name so they in a sense were amazed at their uh, their their authority at their teaching the results it got and you've got to think did judas have the same authority did judas go out and teach the same message and did judas go off and have the same authority i mean you you got to think that jesus or judas is saying the correct words otherwise they'd say judas why don't you ever say anything i really don't understand what we're doing or when they'd have you know casting out demons or healing or something judas well i'll just take the offering judas must have gone off and done something and had some kind of authority in jesus name had authority and yet he apparently wasn't even a believer again you got to wonder what how's that work was he did he never really do anything did he never really engage because he wasn't a believer or was he operating with the authority because of jesus and jesus calling him but he was never really in the inner group. And here we go. Uh, page 2. Uh, this is Mark chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. I'll just read through all of them where we go through and break this down. He appointed the twelve. Again, appointed them as apostles with a message, with a mission, with authority. Uh, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James again it's interesting that James is mentioned as the son of Zebedee and John is mentioned as the brother of James which really puts John in a sense at a low in you know not low but at a young introductory level James would be the the primary one and John is known as the brother of James Uh, obviously it's still the son of Zebedee and he called these two, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means that is the sons of thunder. We'll talk about that a little bit here. Then Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, which would be Levi, the tax collector, Thomas, and James, the son of Elpheus. Notice there's the different James. Uh, so there's one, a lot of times just in... in writing it's called james the greater and then james the lesser because james you know son of zebedee is the the main one thaddeus simon the zealot and judas iscariot mentioned right there who betrayed him um point one the apostle will practice jesus ministry they'll expand his kingdom here are the apostles simon peter peter is always listed first throughout the gospels especially mark Peter is the representative and spokesperson for the 12. Whenever Jesus asks a group question, Peter's the one who speaks. Peter's always the one who's called on. Jesus nicknamed Simon Peter. Now understand, his name is Simon. Where did he get the name Peter? That's Jesus. Jesus changed his name. And we know it as Petros in the Greek. That is, when we read our Greek New Testament, Petros, in the Greek it means rock, stone. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. I would assume Jesus understood Greek. He could probably talk or speak Greek. But we've got to assume that Jesus is speaking Aramaic, which is the, the, the contemporary form of the Hebrew language. It was Aramaic, which was similar to Hebrew. And the word in the Aramaic is kepha, k-e-p-h-a which means rock or stone but it's from kepha and you can see this in your bibles uh it is translated in kepha is translated in english as cephas and so you're going to even see in some of the new testament letters they're not using the name petros or what we get peter you could almost say rocky 
uh, you know, Peter from Petros, uh, but Jesus wouldn't have called him Petros. He wouldn't have probably called him a Greek name. He would have called him an Aramaic name. He would have called him Cephas or Kepha, if that makes sense. And so that's why in the New Testament letters, when they're writing back and forth, this is the name that stuck with him, and it had to be translated from Aramaic into the Greek. And so no one probably called him Petros or Peter. They probably called him Cephas or Kepha. If that, you know, just, you know, it's just because you see that pop up, all of a sudden Cephas is in, in 1 Corinthians or something. What, what are they talking about? Well, that's, what, that's, that's the original Aramaic name. It just didn't get translated into Greek. Uh, there's no reason that is given for Jesus naming Peter. You can, you know, make a guess. You know, you've got the idea that uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Uh, you know that verse at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, there you've got this taking place. You've got the word Petra and Petros. Being ha- and you know this, we've talked about it before. Where, and again, I, not that I can finalize the debate here, but do, I can point out, that they're standing at Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon in front of apparently the, the cave of Hades where they've got monuments set up and carvings in the cave where the pagan worship was taking place. And it's a, it's a huge rock formation. Uh, and the word Petra, it means rock formation. It would be like a, a mountain. It would be like a cliff. It would be like this massive, you know, uh, bedrock coming up out of the ground petra and petros means rock or stone it means something you could pick up with your hand you could carry it around you could throw it you'd use it for building like you'd stack stones together to build a building and what jesus says when peter uh, he asked him who do men say that i am they say you know john the baptist or one of the prophets and he says who do you say i am and peter says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. You are Petros. He says, you are Petros. You are a stone. And upon this rock, I will build my church. He uses Peter's name Petros in the Greek, which means a small stone. And upon this rock formation, I will build my church. Now, again, as you go through this, you know, there's those who think, Peter, I give you the keys of my kingdom. Well, he's already given the apostles the authority. He's leaving, and he's giving them the keys. I'm going away. I'm give, from here on in, you're going to run this machine. I'm going away. Now, he says, I will build my church. I, and, you know, the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. But I'm be building it with your work. And so in there... When he says on this rock, what is that Petra? Some people say, well, it's Peter. Peter's the rock that Jesus built his church on. Which, again, uh, there's a truth to that. He's one of the apostles. But so was Paul. So was James. They're all, in a sense, rocks that Jesus built his church on. Especially when Peter writes two books. And Paul writes the entire, you know, not the entire, but the massive amount of theology in the New Testament. Peter would be one of the rocks that Jesus used, but he's going upon that foundation, that Petra, and Peter's not a Petra, he's a Petros in the Greek, the Petra, the rock formation, he's going to build his church. Now, what is the Petra? And again, now you're into you know, uh, ecclesiology and you know, study of the church. Uh, uh, the Petra would be that what the rock, the formation that, that Peter spoke. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. That would be what God's going to build, or Jesus is going to build His church on. Uh, that's that's probably the safest way of interpreting it. One of the scary ways is He's building it on Peter, but you know the words don't match up. But the Catholics they've gone with that. You know He's the Pope. He's built it on the on the first Pope. That's where the Catholics go with that. That's where they get that. Uh, and he was given the keys of the kingdom. The other thing that I've suggested that's interesting, nonetheless interesting, is they're standing at a pagan shrine. They're actually standing in front of a Petra. And Jesus leaves Galilee and goes up outside to Caesarea Philippi. And there, he doesn't ask him in Jerusalem. He doesn't ask him in Galilee. He takes him out of the country into pagan territory at a shrine that they've worshipped there for, for centuries. 
They worship Pan. They worship, uh, oh, who else do they worship there? You know, Hades. Uh, the emperor, Caesar, had a temple that was built there. They had all kinds of shrines. They had no trouble having several gods there that they're worshiping. So this is the, and they'd throw sacrifices down into the water, uh, into the pit, because that was the doorway to Hades. And which is very interesting because they would, that's where they were trying to get power from the, the angels that had been locked up and those that had gone before that had died in the flood. The, the gods of the previous age had gone down in the underworld and they're try, excuse, trying to get some kind of power from them and sacrifice to them. That's where Jesus takes his disciples for this graduation ceremony right before he tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. He takes them here. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, is the rock Peter? Maybe. I don't think so. Because that's not even what the word says. Is the rock the, what Peter said, the, the, the mountain of truth, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Uh, that, that's true. But it's also, historically, where is the church going to be built? It's going to be built right here over all this pagan territory, all these pagan shrines, I'm going to build my church right here on this rock. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. This whole, this whole structure, and it was the gates of Hades. They were standing at the gates of Hades, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades can't stop it. I give you the keys. You've got it. You can build right over the top of all this pagan stuff. And then they went into, the, and they're in Gentile territory, and then the next thing that's going to happen, once they have the Jewish you know, the day of Pentecost, the church began to scatter and started to spread to the Gentile territories. And everywhere it goes, right on the gates of hell, everything Satan had called, claimed, uh, this is my, I have this territory, I have this nation, I have this shrine. The church goes and just starts building right where it's at, right on the cultures, right on the nations, and starts building the, the kingdom of God. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church right on top of Satan's gates of Hades. And it can't, it can't, nothing you can do about it. I'm building the church right here. Uh, and that's a, another way of looking at it. And again, you're going to have to think about it. But nonetheless, that's where this name Cephas, Petros, Simon was originally called Simon. And uh, uh, he's going to be the spokesperson. But anytime you see Peter, many times, uh, point four under point two, Peter was not always stable in Jesus' ministry. You see him doing some things that are not, you know, consistent. You see him denying Christ. But you do see Peter, especially when you get into the book of Acts, standing up for the truth. Uh, you see him writing First and Second Peter, having some great advice, having some great experience, saying some very things, even using that word Petra, that we are the stones that Jesus built. We are building, we are stones living stones being built into the foundation of the apostles and prophets so peter calls the believers stones you're just like me you're one of the stones in this structure that the church that god is building that he's building right here on the petra which makes sense you've got a petra foundation and you're putting petras petras is up there as you're building this structure so we are all stones being built into this eternal structure nonetheless that's a lot to be said about the name peter we don't know why jesus called simon peter uh, uh those are just some ideas he does use it consistently then you got james son of zebedee peter james and john were the inner circle uh and we're with Jesus for those events I just mentioned. James is the first one martyred in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. The church is just getting started. And Herod Agrippa, that's Herod Agrippa I, uh, he has James executed. And the Jews loved it. So he goes out and gets Peter, going to execute Peter on the day of Passover. It's like going to be a big celebration. We're going to execute one of the apostles. Jews are going to love me even more. And that's when Peter is delivered from prison, which answers or begs the question, why wasn't James delivered? Uh, you know, if you want to go down this road, well, there the church was praying for Peter, and they weren't praying for James. I've heard that preached. When James got killed, and when Peter got arrested, they thought, "Oh my gosh, we better pray," and they were saved Peter from prison because the church was praying. That's that's a great sermon, uh, but that's I don't know how solid it is theologically. I think James it was James' time. I don't think anyone could have stopped it. Uh, I think Peter, and that you know, there's many things that can be said about that too, including. Uh, at the end of the book of John, where Peter and Jesus are talking, and Jesus asks him, do you love me? And he tells Peter to feed my sheep. He says, uh, his last words to Peter were, when you were, when you were young, you went where you wanted to, did what you wanted to, but when you're old, 
you're going to stretch out your hands and someone's going to have to put your coat on for you. Meaning, you're going to be so old. You know what it's like to just be this rambunctious young guy, Peter. Peter, you're going you're gonna to live so long that you're going you're, you're gonna to have to have shoulder replacement. I mean, it's like, you're, oh, you're going to have to, you're gonna, you can, you, can you help me get my coat on? I mean, that's how old you're going to get to be, Peter. Peter, you're going to be like, you've seen those guys that can't get their coat on by themselves? That's you, Peter. You're going to be so old. And you know what he's talking about because Peter then says they're walking along the beach. It's at this time of, you know, where that's when they wrote that song, you know, the footprints in the sand, poem. That's, when they, that's where it came from. No. Uh, but he turns around and says, he says, what about, what about him? And he points back to John. And, and he, says, he says, so Peter was told, you're going to live to be an old man. And they're gonna t- when, they're g- when you stretch out your hand, have to, someone has to put your coat on, they'll come take you and take you to a place where you do not want to go. Indicating, he says, the kind of death Peter's going to die. You're going to die a martyr. But you won't be until you can't lift your arms up. I mean, you're going to need shoulder replacement before you become a martyr. So you've got some time, Peter. So he says, what about John? What about him? And Jesus says, what is that to you? He says, if I want him to live until I come back, what does it matter to you? You follow me. In other words, stop being nosy. You know, there's, it's just typical. Jesus gives him some information, word of encouragement. It's like, okay, well, I want to know more details. It's like, I'm not going to, no. I'm not going to talk to you about John. And then he even says in the text, it says, and so because Jesus said that to Peter, that if I want him to live until I come back, what does that matter to you? So the rumor began to spread, it says, that John was going to live until Jesus returned. And then that had to become almost like a Methuselah. John lives until 98 A.D., and he's an old, almost 100 years old and before, he's, before he dies. And so people, you know, it's like it, he says that's not what Jesus meant. He was basically telling Peter, stop asking ridiculous questions. I'm talking to you, not about him. So uh, that's, that's in the book of John, as you know. Okay. Uh, anyway, James gets executed in the book of Acts, and then John, son of Zebedee, the brother of James, together they're known as Boanerges, the sons of thunder. And again, no reason is given, but may have to do with their, their, their personalities. And Mark 10, it's going to come out in Mark 10. I'll read this very quickly. And again, this would be, again, it's in Mark. So this is a story that Peter would have been telling about the sons of thunder. Mark 10, verse 35 um, <laughs> and th- this is after uh, they had come through uh, they had to walk through Samaria, Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't let them in you know and they had to go around they had to go over to the Jordan River and walk down and go around come in through Jericho but when they would not allow the Samaritans typically if you were coming from Jerusalem going north they would let you walk through their territory because you're leaving jerusalem good job we support you leaving jerusalem but if you're coming from galilee to go to jerusalem for a feast they wouldn't let you they would oppose you sometimes they'd fight you sometimes you'd get killed they wouldn't let you go through because you're going to jerusalem and they don't they resist that so when jesus when he left one of the the early the first passover he leaves he goes from the south to the north and he goes right up through samaria and they talked to him they welcomed him but when they come down from the north to come down, they wouldn't let them pass through. And that's where James and John, they say, you want us to call lightning out of heaven and consume them? He says, he says you don't know what spirits you are. And he calls them sons of thunder. Also, there's this right here in Mark. Um, and again, this is interesting that this is something Peter remembered. Uh, they're coming out of, out of Jericho on their way to Jerusalem for the last supper the the final week not not the last supper but the final they're on the way to jerusalem for palm sunday wherever the crowd's gonna be shouting then they're gonna have that last week on their way verse 35 then james and john the sons of zebedee came to him teacher they says we want you to do uh, for us whatever we ask say you know we got we're gonna ask you a favor and we promise that you're gonna do it for us (laughs) he says uh what do you want me to do for you they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. I mean, do, uh, imagine, imagine actually walking with Jesus and say, hey, we got, I, me and my brother want to ask you a favor. Now, this is, this, is after, this is at the end of the ministry. This is towards the end of the ministry. We're in the final, you know, two weeks of Jesus' ministry. So they've gone, all these things have already happened. Jesus already taught them. And they've been with Jesus. They've seen, a, they say, man, you know, th- 
when you get into your kingdom and you're seated in glory, as if they even understand that, we would like to sit on the right and on your left. <laughs> Jesus says, I mean, I mean, you got to appreciate Jesus not saying, that's so stupid. He says, you don't know what you are asking. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't even understand what my glory means and to sit on my right and my left. You don't even understand that. Which I think he would say to all of us when we ask him for things. You know, it's like, uh, God, will you do this? Okay, you don't even know what that would mean that would have to take place in your life. You really don't want that. You, you don't want that to happen. Yeah, it'd be really great. Do you understand all the things that would come along with that? How about you just do what I called you to? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Now, we, this is later on in Mark. But it appears he's talking about, you know, you don't know where I'm I'm going to be seated in glory. But between where we're at today and me seated in glory, I'm going to have to go through the crucifixion. Uh, do you think you have that ability to endure that, to get to a position that's close to me? We can, they answered. We can, yes. We're committed. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Okay, yes, you will. And James was. He, he was executed shortly. Within a few weeks of Jesus' execution, James, one of them that asked this, is executed. You will drink the cup I drink. I mean, and does he, does he, is he saying, well, yes, that's what I have planned for you. Well, they say, he says, can you do this? They say, yeah, we can. Okay, you'll get to drink the cup I drink and baptize. It's like, okay, I, I don't know. He, is he saying, well, that, no, that's not what I had planned, but if that's what you want, yeah, you could be a martyr. I mean, is that what he's saying? Or is he saying, you know, can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized? And they say, yeah, we can. It's like, well, okay, I guess you are going to. You know, I didn't, my question was supposed to be rhetorical, but now that you mention it, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. But to sit at my right and or, or on the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So kind of giving the impression, those places are already prepared and it's already assigned to somebody who's going to live. Now, who is it? Is it Elijah and Moses? Is it Paul and Peter? I mean, who is it? I mean, he doesn't give any indication, but he does say there are positions at my right and my left. But I can't give those to you. Notice, they're assigned by God. Now, <laughs> again, I got to quit. But verse 41, when the, now this is the last maybe 10 days of Jesus' ministry. They're on, he's on his way to his crucifixion. 10 days away from the finish line. This is what James and John are asking. And then verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, that would be Peter and Judas and Andrew. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and says, you know, and he has to give them another lesson here. So now they've got, you asked for what? Jesus said we could. It's like, you asked for what? My gosh, we're, it's like, and now they got, and Peter's like, ah, why didn't I think of that? You know, I should have asked first, you know. And so anyway, that's, again, I didn't get near as far as we should have. We'll go through the rest of the apostles next week and get through some of that. But you can just see that, the tension there, and you can see Jesus calling these. And again, I point out, he, they're going to be with him, so they're going to see and understand how he handles things. So you've got to imagine that after three years, they're going to be responding. They're going to have some kind of mannerisms that are similar to Jesus, their reactions. They're going to be their own individuals, but they're going to respond. They're going to have seen Jesus behave in some high-pressure situations. But also, they're going to go out with his message to all the land, land of Israel, and they're going to go out with his authority. And as we see, they're going to, they're going to be doing miracles with the authority they've been given and they're going to be amazed by it and yet you can see here that was in the beginning that's chapter three by chapter 10 on their way to jerusalem they're still trying to live this this ministry life on a heathen basis as it, and that's where jesus is going to say he this next part in chapter 10 he says you're not going to be like the gentiles the gentiles try to rule it over others they have their rulers and then the servants serve the rulers he says that's not the way this kingdom is you're going to be a servant. If you're going to sit on my right and on my left, you're going to have to be a servant equal to what I'm about to do. 
And so the, 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 the rulers in the kingdom of God are the greatest servants. He says, it's not like that with the Gentiles. So you guys are asking all the wrong questions because, again, outside and the inside. These guys are called to the inside, but they're still thinking like people on the outside. And that's, we're, we're still the same way. The renewal of our mind, we're being transformed into this new kingdom. We'll pick this up next week. Thank you for listening. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would humble our hearts, that we'd let the word transform us, that we would, through the word, look at Jesus and spend time with Jesus, that we could become like him, have his mannerisms, have his reactions, and have the mind of Christ in ourselves, that we may learn and become useful for you at this time in your kingdom. Father, we do again thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to have your spirit, and have fellowship with other believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.